Our sermon text this evening comes out of John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. It reads this way, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here ends the reading of God's word. We bow for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for these words tonight because, although it might not seem like it at first, they are words of comfort. These are words that welcome all. So I pray no matter where where anybody is at tonight sitting in these pews, that you will hit them with the meaning of these words in their hearts by your Spirit's power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I have to be honest with you. Uh, Generally speaking, I tend to be a little bit more skeptical just in, just in life. And frankly, I always have been. Uh, my mom will tell you that when I was a kid, I was skeptical. I didn't believe much. I pr- probably was kind of a bummer around Christmas time because of that. But if you're like me, when you hear something that sounds too good to be true, uh, then you probably think it's too good to be true, and you move on quickly. After all, we learn, I think, pretty on, very, very early on in life that... Um, that we can't always trust what we hear. We can't always believe what we're told. And so skepticism really, in a sense, becomes a useful defense against, uh, against some of the problems in our world. It becomes a useful defense against being ripped off. Uh, it becomes a useful defense uh, to discern what's true from false, especially in our era of, uh, of fake news everywhere. It sometimes can be uh, good to be skeptical about things. Skepticism can have, I think, lots of positive effects. And frankly, I'm here to tell you tonight, it's actually okay and maybe even good to be uh, skeptical. Now, uh, I did not say cynical. And there is a big distinction between skepticism and cynicism. Cynicism has given up on the world. Cynicism has made up its mind about everything and has basically decided it's messed. It's messed up. There's no hope. But skepticism just wants to get to the truth. Skepticism is just concerned about finding out really what's actually true. And you know what? I think even skepticism is good when it comes to talking about the things we're talking about tonight, namely the Bible, the Word of God, the claims that the Bible makes. I think it's good 
at some level to actually care, is this stuff really true? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Uh, did he really live on this earth? Did Jesus uh, really die for the sins of the world? Did he raise again from the dead? Are those things true? Are we allowed to ask those questions? Maybe some of you grew up in churches where you weren't allowed to ask those questions. And if you did start questioning, you were told to, quote, just believe. But that's not what happens in our text tonight. That's not what I read to you. Nathaniel is a man with questions. Nathaniel is, frankly, skeptical. His brother Philip has just met Jesus and gotten all born again. Uh, and so he runs home to tell Nathaniel, guess what? I'm following Jesus now. I'm a Christian now. I'm excited now. And Nathaniel is like, mm-hmm, okay, yeah. And he says, and, and Philip, the way he tells me, he says, listen, I, I found the guy that Moses was talking about and the prophets was talking about. I, in other words, I found the Savior of the world. And then he adds this last little bit at the end of what he tells Nathaniel. He says, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, whoa, 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 hold up. <laughs> uh, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's an understandable question because at the time, Nazareth was a backwoods town. Uh, it had really uh, nothing good going for it. It, had, uh, it was known in Jerusalem, the, the sort of uh, chief religious center of Jewish life. Nazareth was seen as a place where a lot of heterodox practices were happening. A lot of things were going on that weren't uh, quote-unquote kosher. Nazareth was seen as a place that nobody important would ever come from. And yet here Philip is saying, hey, guess what? Guess what? The Savior of the world uh, revealed himself to me, and he's from Nazareth. Let's go see him. And Nathaniel's like, eh, mm, I don't know about that Nazareth thing, man. You're going to have to give me something to back that up. And so the question for us tonight is, is how will the Savior from of all places... Uh, draw skeptics like Nathaniel, draw people that have questions like us uh, toward him. And the first thing we see is, is that he actually invites the question. He invites our questions. In response to Nathaniel's skepticism about Jesus' place of origin, his brother Philip doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, hey man, just, just believe. He doesn't even try to give Nathaniel a reason for belief at this point. That can be helpful, and there are many. But not at this point. All he simply says, I love this line, he just says, you know what, come and see. Just, just come and see. Nathaniel, I know you got questions and it doesn't all make sense right now, but just come and see with me. It reminds me of the first time I was invited to church as a teenager. Essentially, I was given the same plea. Listen, man, I don't know how to answer any of your questions. I mean, the, the, the guy that was inviting me was like, hey, you know, yeah, man, you're, you, know, you can be smarter than me, whatever. Just come and see. I don't know, I don't know the answer. Just come and see. And you know what? Sometimes no amount of evidence or argumentation, uh, berating or anything else will do it for us. Even though there is, uh, there's plenty of good evidences and arguments for the Christian faith, sometimes, sometimes we just need to come and see. Sometimes we just need to experience it. It's like um, uh, one of my favorite authors and theologians, uh, Robert Capon, said once, apologetics, apologetics is just the word for the defense of the faith, he said, is always such a questionable enterprise. 
And here's why he said it. Because Jesus doesn't reach out to convince us. He dares us to believe. He dares us to believe. Now again, don't hear me bad-mouthing defending the faith. I think it's really important. But sometimes, we just need to be dared to come and see. Be willing to come and see. It's sort of like trying a new food. Uh, those of you who know me in here tonight, um, you know that I have the palate of an eight-year-old boy. I'm not proud of that. It's just true. Uh, I will probably eat chicken nuggets and mac and cheese for every meal. If it was up to me, I'm married, and so it is not. Uh, my wife is very good at feeding me things that are better for me and that actually taste good. Uh, so my palate has expanded with marriage and with children. But my natural inclination is to eat like a kid. Well, a little while back, I was invited out to a lunch with a, a friend of mine, and it was a really nice restaurant that he was going to take me and a buddy to. But he, he took me there on one condition. He said, I, I want to buy you lunch but you have to eat everything that I have brought out to the table. Now, this is a free lunch, but it's conditional. I get to eat everything? All right, it's free. I'll eat everything. So pretty soon, he starts having stuff brought out that I ain't even seen before. I don't even know what the name of it was. I mean, slimy stuff. Uh, you know, I, I don't eat any seafood, and, and this happened to be like a seafood extravaganza, and it wasn't like even fish seafood. It was like mussels and oysters and just slime, just the slimy stuff that I would never dare in my wildest imagination put in my mouth. He had crawfish brought out, and he made me suck out the brain of the crawfish first before I ate the rest of the crawfish. It was the rule. I had to do it. And I have to tell you, it acted... Crossfish brain, it's actually good. It tasted delicious. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about I, uh, most of the food that day, you could have given me all the reasons, all the nutritional value behind all of the, the food that was brought out, and I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have mattered a bit to me. I wouldn't have put it in my mouth. The only thing that worked is for him, was for him to just say, come and see. You just got to experience it. And because of that, you know, I actually found out it was really good, except for oysters. Gross. Get out of here with that. But, but maybe, I mean, you're sitting here tonight in that place. I mean, I, I don't know everybody here tonight, but maybe you were brought here not quite uh, sure whether you believe in Jesus or whether you even want to. You've got those Nazareth-type questions floating around in your mind. Maybe you've been a Christian for years and you still have those Nazareth-type questions floating around in your mind. And something, or maybe better said, someone essentially told you, come and see. And I'm here to, I'm here to tell you, at this church, you can always come and see with your questions. It's the reason that we have, uh, once a month, we have a Q&A night at a local restaurant, a local pub, where we just get together and you can fire away with any question, any problem, any objection you have about God, the Christian faith, whatever. Because we want to be a place that says, listen, it's no holds barred. Everything's welcome. Why? Because that's what Jesus does here with Nathaniel. And that leads to my next point. So he, he encourages the questions. Jesus invites them. But he also, he does expose our questions. So, so this is the, this is the uh, you go a little deeper here. He, 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 he allows the questions, but he also isn't going to let you get away with, with something that isn't a sincere question. 
Now, in this case, it does seem to be sincere because when Nathaniel finally does show up to Jesus, Jesus says, man, you're a guy without any deceit. You're, you're a guy that's a straight shooter, essentially. He lauds him for being, a, his questions are sincere. And so Jesus welcomes that. But, but there are times where our questions that we ask of God or of the faith are really just ways that we're actually masking our true problems with Christianity. And we've learned that if we ask these questions, that, that we can sort of use that as a mask. I'll explain to you what I mean. A, a while back, this some years ago, I, I saw some old friends that had once gone to the church that I was a pastor of. And, um, and we just happened to be sat at the same table at this uh, wedding reception. And so we got into a conversation about the church and about their life and where they were at now. And they really, they were actually now uh, pretty strongly against the faith. They had left the church and both of them were, uh, were looking to, to debate me that night. Um, wasn't planning on it, but that was the way it went. And so, you know, slowly but surely, I tried to answer their objections as best I could and give them um, answers to their questions. And I saw over the course of the meal, their tone change and I could tell that they were starting to actually say, okay, yeah, I think you've answered my questions. And at the end of it, I said, so do you think Jesus is real now? Do you think he really was the son of God? Do you think there's evidence that he died, that he rose again? And to my surprise, both of them said, yeah, actually you answered all my questions. I don't got anything left. I guess he really is who he said he is. Great. Well, would you like to pray with me then? No. Both of them, no. Well, why not? I thought you said you think it's true. Well, I do, but I'm not ready for that right now. I don't want, I don't want Jesus in my life, even if he is true. And I, I knew these guys, one of them you know, was uh, quite promiscuous, one of them was battling addiction, wasn't really battling it at the time, wanted you know, to, to stay in it. And they just, they wanted that. So initially, they, you know, they had questions, right? They had their objections. But when their objections were answered, what really happened is that their true reasons were sniffed out, is that they just kind of, they wanted to keep on living the way they were living, and they were afraid that if they became Christians, that they might be called to account for some of the stuff that they were doing that wasn't good for them or good for their neighbor. And so Jesus will do that. Jesus does do that. So it's good to ask questions. It is good to, to, to bring your questions, but, but you, will, you will be challenged if he senses that your question is not sincere. He does expose the questions. And maybe for some of you that's the case. My guess is for many of us, it's a mixture of both. That sometimes our questions really are genuine, but there's also a part of us that just says, eh, I don't know if I really want to come and see. But let me ask you, if you're sitting here in that position tonight, are you willing to be skeptical of your skepticism? Are you, are you willing to just come and see again? Are you, are you willing to explore and to be open to the possibility that Jesus is who he says he is. And that leads to my, my third point. He reveals himself as the answer to our questions. As Jesus declares that Nathaniel is a sincere man in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel is really sort of dumbfounded about this because 
He doesn't know me. How could he know that I'm not deceitful? And, and so he asks, how do you know me? How do you know I'm a straight shooter? And Philip, and, and Jesus says, before Philip, your brother called you, I saw you under the fig tree. But how could that be, Jesus? You couldn't have seen me because you were in a completely different location. The only way you could have seen me under the fig tree is if maybe you are actually the person Philip said you are. Maybe you are the Son of God, the King of Israel, because all of a sudden I'm seeing some evidence of supernatural power here. Uh, history is full of epiphany moments like this, by the way, where somebody just happens all of a sudden to see that Jesus is who he said he is. I think of uh, T.S. Eliot, the great poet, last uh, century, C.S. Lewis, Malcolm Muggeridge, all adults that were known for their intellect and their skepticism that eventually became Christians. I think of recently, more recently, the head of the Human Genome Project, uh, the scientist Francis Collins, who also converted as, a, as an adult from being a skeptic of Christianity. And there's many, many, many others I could mention to you, but those are a few. For C.S. Lewis, what led him to the epiphany that Jesus is who he said he is, what got him started down that road is, is he says the reality of truth and beauty and joy and great relationships started him thinking that this couldn't all just be accidental. This couldn't all just be random. That there, there has to be something behind it and it caused him to go and see and to explore and to look. And he ended up finding Jesus. Or rather, more correct, Jesus ended up finding him. This is how one author describes Lewis's conversion. He says, quote, sensing God's relentless pursuit of him, he likens him to the great angler playing his fish, to a cat chasing a mouse, to a pack of hounds closing in on a fox, and finally to the divine chess player maneuvering him into the most disadvantageous positions until in the end, all Lewis can do is concede Checkmate. Perhaps you've been there. Cornered. Sensing God is watching, that he sees you as he saw Nathaniel. Perhaps you're already a Christian, but you sense that you're running from the one who sees you rather than embracing him. Maybe you've run out of places to go and you're cornered. There's some fear there. There's some anxiety there. I've been there multiple times. There's anxiety when skepticism starts to shake, but I want to close tonight by letting you know that you, you being in that place don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to quake because the one who sees you, the one who's chased you and who's cornered you reveals that he loves you. He's provided a way of escape that leads not to the judgment of God, but to the grace and the mercy of God. As Nathaniel the skeptic marvels, Jesus goes on, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see way greater things than these. I mean, bro, you're gonna, I'm going to change water into wine in just a little bit here. I'm going to feed thousands with just a couple loaves and some fish. I'm going to raise people from the dead. I'm going to give blind sight. I'm going to give deaf people hearing. I mean, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
wait until I show you what I can do. And then, and so he's, he is essentially saying, listen, I'm going to do a lot of great stuff. But then he says this really strange line to close this passage out. If you look at it in verse 51, he then says this, truly, truly, which means he really wants him to listen to this. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now hang with me here just a bit. This is actually an image from the Old Testament that he's using of the angels and ascending and descending. Uh, it's from Genesis chapter 28 in the story of the patriarch Jacob. In, in that story, Jacob has a dream. He has a vision and God uh, sends this ladder down from heaven to earth and there are angels ascending and descending on it. And upon seeing that, Jacob proclaims at that place, this is the gateway to heaven. This is the gateway to glory. This is the gateway to new, true life. That's what Jacob declares after experiencing this letter. Now, what does Jesus say here? Jesus says that you're going to see those same angels of God ascending and descending, doing the same thing, but the ladder that Jacob saw is me. Notice he says, angels, and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What he is saying to Nathaniel, what he is saying to those who have been cornered in their skepticism and have recognized that Jesus is who he said he is, is he's saying, that's good news because I have provided a way of escape to real, true life. Come and see. Follow me with your questions, with your skepticism, and I'll give you the path to real life. Come and see. But I gotta, I gotta say one more thing about this ladder and then, and then I'm gonna wrap it up and pray for us. When we hear ladder, we tend to think of something that we have to climb up. So when we think of Jesus saying, hey, I'm the ladder to heaven, which is kind of what he's saying to Nathaniel, we're prone to thinking, okay, he's provided a ladder and we have to climb up it. And usually what that means, we climb it up by doing something good for God. And if we do enough of those good things, then we'll eventually make it up to the stairway to heaven. It's the stairway to heaven, as uh, of course Led Zeppelin sang about, and every guitarist who's ever walked into Guitar Center has tried to play. Rather, it is not that. It is not a stairway. It is not a ladder you descend because the ladder that Jesus gives is actually a ladder descending. Here's the amazing picture of what Jesus does. Yes, he corners Nathaniel. Yes, he goes to where Nathaniel's at. Yes, he corners us in our skepticism and he answers our questions, but he does it so that he can come to us right where we're at. Here's the point. God does not wait for us to climb to him. God comes to us. Wherever our questions are at, wherever our struggles are at, I don't care how low you've gone, he goes lower still. He goes lower still. He will meet anyone, anywhere to redeem them and reveal to them, I love you. I've got a plan for you. I want you to follow me. So the Apostle Paul can write in Philippians chapter 2, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on the cross. And so He is here tonight. He has descended here tonight as he has, he has never really left His people. He is here through the Word that's being preached. He is presenting Himself to you. He is here through the body and blood that will be given to you for the forgiveness of your sins. No matter where you're coming in, what you're coming in here with tonight, no matter how low you've been, He is there. Because as my friend John Saul says, His office is at the end of your rope. When you're cornered, when you say checkmate, He's there to say, I gotcha. I gotcha. Come and see. Will you pray? Father, I thank You that You do not wait for us to ascend the ladder, but You descend the ladder to us. With our questions, with our skepticism, with our problems, if we're honest, we're always going to have something that pops up that doesn't make sense to us because we're not infinite, and You are, and we can't see everything the way that You do, and so there's going to be things that happen in our life that we think... I just don't know how to make any sense of this. And Father, I am so thankful that You do not send us away shunning us because of those questions, but You understand and You welcome them. You invite them. I thank You, Father, that when Jesus came across the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief, that You responded by healing His Son. Even in the very moment that he was confessing his doubt and his struggle, you were faithful. You know the hearts of each person in this room tonight. You know who's struggling with doubt. You know who's got questions. And you know what they need. You know how to meet them. I pray you would do that now as we continue in this service together in communion. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.